Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Now look at somebody else and say, I'm tired. Just tell them, I'm tired. Now look to heaven. Say, thank God for caffeine. Anybody? Thank you, Lord, for caffeine. Welcome to church today here across the campuses. Glad you're here. Maybe you're watching at online through 12 Stone Home, or you're watching online because you're traveling this weekend, or you're watching online because you're looking for a church home. We're glad that you're hanging out. We think you're going to be really glad that you, you made this a part of your, your week, because we're starting a, a three-week conversation today as a church where we're, we're answering the question, why are we hopeful about the future? Why are we hopeful about the future? In order for that question to be relevant, there has to be a reality that for some of us, we're not as hopeful about the future, right? And I know you exist because I've heard you. I heard you talking. What's going on? Whether Listen, maybe it's, there's economic reasons you're not hopeful for the future. Maybe there's cultural reasons you're not hopeful for the future. Emotional or mental health reasons you're not you're not hopeful for the future. Relational reasons. I've never felt a more divided nation than like now. Like why, why can we be hopeful? Listen, in my world, I, I look at there's sort of this Christianity and faith reasons why you might not be hopeful. I, I've read the stats too. Like what's, what's the future of the church look like? Like maybe, maybe you've read the stats like I have about the generation coming up and, and things like this. Only 4% of Gen Z hold a biblical worldview. Not so hopeful. Only 28% of Gen Z attend church at least once a month. Rut row. Listen, 31% of Gen Z say they never attend church except weddings and funerals. Only 24% of Gen Z say that religion was very important in their life. How am I doing delivering on the question so far? I'm hopeful for the future. I want to tell you why. Whoops. Here's the deal. If you stop reading the stats right there, you're hopeless. Because see, listen, the generations coming behind us are giving up on institutions. Like whether it be the government or big businesses or the church, institutional religion. The next generation has very little appetite for institutional religion. And yet if you keep searching beneath that data... There is unbelievable hope. Let me just read a few things about the next generation coming behind us. Only, listen, only 9% of Gen Z self-reported atheist. That means 91% go, maybe. Listen, only, listen, 80% of Gen, Gen Z believe that there's a God. 71% of Gen Z self-report is some category of spiritually hungry. Listen, church, this is great news. They might be giving up on like institutional stuff, but they're hungry. I'm not, I don't look at the next generation and say I'm hopeless. I look and say they're hungry. They're looking for something transcendent. They grew up around religious stuff and institutions of religion, but they're looking for something that satisfies deeper than just religious things and boxes to check. And this is good news. I'm not hopeless. They're just hungry. See, this is not the first time this has happened. It's not new. It's always been true. In fact, in Acts 17, 
Paul is, is talking in Athens to some of the greatest leaders and thinkers and philosophers of his time on incredibly spiritual and religious culture. And he goes to speak before them. And I want you to watch how he addresses the culture that looks a lot like our culture today. Here's what it says in Acts 17. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I see that, that you are very religious in all aspects. Listen, you're super religious. You're looking for God in all respects. For a while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Like there's just a God out there somewhere. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything that is in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, all of that, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. You see what Paul did. Paul did not condemn their pursuit of spiritual things. He acknowledged their interest in the divine and then encouraged them to seek God. Church, we live in a very unique day and time. And equally, this is not the first time we've been here. We, we exist in a culture that is seeking something transcendent, something bigger than just the material world. And our job is not to condemn them in their search. It's to point them to Jesus. This is our calling, which is why, listen, over the next three weeks, we're going to have a conversation. And I want to talk to two groups, and we're going to do that through the whole of this series. The first group is I want to talk to believers, Christians, followers of Jesus. And you might be in the hopeless category. You look around and go, all the stats, all the data, what's going on? The world's falling apart, and you might feel hopeless. We're going to talk to you and tell you why we have hope. But the way we're going to get there is by talking to the second group. Those of you who are not followers of Jesus, you're seeking, you're trying to figure this out. You are like the people in Athens. You're looking for something spiritual, something bigger. And in order to go after that, we're going we're gonna to try to answer the questions that you're actually asking. So these questions have some teeth to them. Why are we hopeful for the future? We're going to answer that through three questions over the next three weeks. Here's what they are. Today, Pastor Trey is going to teach, and he's going to talk about, is Christianity outdated? Anybody? Second question next week, has the church lost its way? As my daughter's friends say, okay, you know, like, I, whoa, it's got somebody, somebody's with me. Uh, I don't say that, except for this one time. Listen, has the church lost its way? That's, that question's got some teeth. We're going to get real in this series. Why, number three, why would I want to live like a Christian? These are real questions, and at the end of each teaching, believers, we're going to equip you with the things and the tools you need to live this out, because we believe there's a move of God coming. As things get darker and darker, Jesus looks brighter and brighter. As people seek spiritual things other places and they don't fulfill, the, the offer of the gospel becomes more compelling, and we don't want to miss the move of God that we think he has for us. So today, here across the campuses, would you help me welcome Pastor Trey as we hit the first question? Go get it, big boy. Thanks, man. Christianity may not be outdated, but you might be. Um, whoa. I'm coming out firing. Um, welcome to, uh, to church, everybody. We're excited to jump into this question. Is Christianity outdated? 
What's interesting is that some things actually can be outdated. So I thought we'd have a little bit of fun to talk about some things that are outdated. This first is a floppy disk. Anybody, uh, if you're under the age of 27, I bet you honestly don't even know what these are, but I once actually saved some school projects on some floppy disk. And inside of that same era of school, I also played this game, the Oregon Trail. You remember this? This is the game where you're trying to get from the East Coast to the West Coast, and you might die of a snake bite and dysentery at the same time while you're playing Oregon Trail. There's a stack of these that we all remember, VHS tapes. Uh, I remember when I realized that there was actually a gap between me and a younger generation. I was at my first church where I was a student pastor, and I was driving the church bus, which is a whole story unto itself. And I'm driving the church bus, and there was a VCR in the church bus. And I'll never forget, I'm driving, and a seventh grade boy stands up, and he goes to the VCR, and he sticks his hand in the slot and says, what goes in here? And then his brother, who was also on the bus, said, oh, it's one of those black boxy things that grandma has. And I, I realized there that I was a little bit between them and that generation. Then, of course, kind of connected to that is Blockbuster. Take a breath, RIP. Off we go. And then finally, disposable cameras. And here's what's interesting. Some of you are getting really nostalgic now. You remember you take the picture and then you'd and then you'd have to take your camera to like Walmart to get the film developed and a stranger would see your photos before you did. That, that was part of growing up. Now I hear, and this will maybe kind of in a sense connect, that disposable cameras are making a comeback. Is this true? I, I found that out yesterday. So maybe I'm the outdated one. You see, there are some things that are outdated, but we've also progressed, right? There's care for diseases, there's better technology, better travel. But does any of this apply to Christianity? Does it apply to our faith? Is Christianity outdated? Perhaps you've heard some of these things that it's old school, it's too narrow, Christianity is too traditional. It's a, uh, it doesn't teach anything for modern times. It's a relic of the past. Or if we were going to be more honest, some people give Christianity labels like it's misogynistic, or patriarchal, or fill in the blank with some type of a phobic, and it's disregarding of other religions and other worldviews. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but my gut is that you have heard some of those critiques about Christianity. Kind of like Jason got started. That's super hopeful, right? But what if there really are some timeless truths? You know, we have to be careful right out the gate. And I would warn people with even this question of is Christianity outdated? C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. And what he means by chronological snobbery is that there can be a sense that we are smarter or more progressed, or more enlightened, or perhaps even better than people from the past, simply because we're further down the timeline. But again, what if there actually are some timeless truths? What if our ancient Christian faith is as relevant and powerful today as it always has been? And that Christianity is not outdated, but there's something else going on. And to help us kind of picture that, I have to give us kind of this image that I want us to kind of pull from for the rest of the teaching. And it's an image 
of a beach. And I know some of you, you're daydreaming about the beach. You love the beach and your mind jumps there. I'm going to ask all of us to stay locked in even as we talk about the beach together. See, my family loves the beach. And when I say my family, I mean my wife and my boys, not me. My, my wife grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, her parents go to the beach just about every single weekend. My wife comes from one of those families that they can go to the beach and set up a tent right at sunrise. And there's a tent and then there's like two extra umbrellas and there's a cooler. And then there's the, 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 the food for lunch and like four different books because they're going to be there from sun up to sun down. I'm a little bit more of a, uh, a 10 a.m. to noon kind of beach guy. Give me enough time in the morning to drink my coffee and enjoy my morning, then get me out there, and then, but I want to be back in by, by lunch. But my boys love the beach, and so we love to go out into the water and body surf and boogie board. And you, there is a special feeling when you catch a wave and ride it all the way in to the shore. And because uh, my youngest is cute, I have a quick little video. He's three years old now, but this is him at the beach a couple of years ago. Enjoy this. Yeah, it serves one purpose other than to like make my heart really happy because that's, that's my baby. But picture this with me. He's playing in the shallows, and maybe you've stood on the beach. Your feet are in the sand. Don't, I don't want to lose you. Your feet are in the sand, and you're just in the shallows. And you look down, and as you're looking down, your, your feet are in the shallows, and then the water begins to recede back out into the ocean. And as it recedes back out into the ocean, if you don't know how the undertow works, like maybe you are a child playing in the shallows, when the water begins to recede back out into the ocean, it can feel like something is missing. It can begin to feel like something is lost. And you may begin to think, or a child may begin to think, like, why is my water leaving? But if you know how the ocean works, you know that as the water is receding, what's happening is there is a wave out in the ocean that is just reloading. And there's a new wave that is building that is about to come and crash onto the shore. What if what feels like something is being lost in our faith what if the reasons why we can look at the news and people around us and we begin to feel worried and sad or even angry about what seems like the waters of our faith receding out from around us? What if like the waters that are receding back out into the ocean at the beach is, is like the tides of Christianity moving out, but there's actually a huge wave that is forming in the horizon and it's about to crash in? This is why we have hope. Because we believe that we are on the cusp of watching a new wave of Jesus crash onto our shores. Where people are going to know God personally as friend and as savior. They're going to find freedom in their life from the things that hold them back. They're going to discover God's given purpose and then make a difference in his name. You see, when the waters are receding around us and it feels like the tides of Christianity are leaving. What if God was not retreating? He was simply reloading. This is our hope. And before we get into a few reasons of why, like why I believe that there is a new wave coming, we need to talk about the reality that we've seen this in our faith before. 
If you read through scripture, even, even study church history, there have been past generations where it seems like the waters of Christianity have receded so far out to such dismal levels that there's no hope for a new move of Christ. But then a new wave comes. You see it in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, even very specifically in the book of Judges, that there's this cycle. There's this cycle of one generation that experiences a move of God, and as time progresses, they begin to drift, and then another generation chooses to move away from God fully into idolatry, and out of their idolatry, there's despair and brokenness because a life apart from God eventually breaks down, and then there's repentance and renewal. I want to talk about this idea of a cycle of renewal, and I'll make sure it's really clear for us today. There are some generations that experience a move of God, and we'll say that that generation is faithful. Then a faithful generation, time moves on, and then the following generation, it's very easy for them to become familiar. I recently read a book that said this, familiar is often the enemy of wonder. When you get familiar with something, you get casual with it. And as you grow casual with the truths of God, it's easy to then fall away. And as one generation falls away, the next generation moves into despair and brokenness. And as the despair and the brokenness takes root in a generation, you begin to see anxiety and depression and pain increase. Out of the despair, God works and he brings an awareness an awareness that you need something, we need something outside of ourselves, and out of the awareness comes renewal. And God brings a new wave and brings a generation of people back to him. And as Jason just shared some of the data, you may look at this, uh, this current generation, may rising generation, Generation Z, getting into their 20s and, and late teens, and even the generation behind them and Generation Alpha, and it's easy for us to feel despair, but what if that's not what's happening anymore, but we're more somewhere in here where there's a growing awareness and a hunger for God? And we have to be ready to, to move on that if renewal is actually going to come. And so talking about renewal, let me give us two challenges, and then we're going to jump into some questions together. There's two challenges that I, I'll be honest, these challenges mess with me personally in a way that impacts how I live. The first challenge is this. Every generation needs their own marking experience with God. Every generation needs their own marking experience with God. We can't expect the next generation to come to faith in Jesus simply because a generation or two ahead of them did. No one is grandfathered into faith in Jesus. Sometimes we may look at the rising generation, and, and I've heard this. Why are they leaving the faith? Their parents were Christians. Their, their grandparents were Christians. And we forget that every generation not only needs but deserves their own marking experience with God. And we should be jumping at the opportunity and catch this, the responsibility to help bring about their own experience with God. The second challenge is this, a generation falling away from God, when one generation falls away from God, it's usually preceded by a previous generation that acts religious but doesn't actually have a heart for God. I don't want it, well, I'm about to say I don't want it to sound harsh. I kind of want it to sound a little bit harsh. <laughs> we can't just throw blame at the rising generation. The gravitational pull towards sin and ungodliness is strong. 
If the rising generation has not seen an example of what a vibrant, faith-filled, exciting life in Jesus looks like, it will be easy for them to conclude that the other life is a great option. We have a responsibility to demonstrate what it could look like to live as followers of Jesus in a way that is full of adventure and love and excitement and vibrance and faith so that not just for our own faith, though certainly we want that for ourselves, for the next generation. And we have to be honest about all of these tough questions like, is Christianity outdated so that we can be ready? Do you hear that, church? Like, we want to be ready and prepared to ride and be a part of any wave that Jesus might bring. It makes me think about body surfing with my boys. I love being out there in the ocean with them, and I have two boys, eight and seven, and I have three boys. There's a third one, but he's not body surfing yet. But I'm out in the ocean with my eight-year-old, my seven-year-old, and, and here's how it typically goes. One of my boys is watching the horizon, and he's getting ready. He's getting prepared. His boogie board is turned towards the shore and he sees a wave coming. It begins to build on the horizon and he watches it and he catches it and he sees it. And right when it's about to crest, he turns his body just right and he catches the wave and he rides it in the shore. And while one boy rides it in the shore, the other one is over here fiddling with his goggles, pulling his bathing suit back up, getting sand out of his nooks and crannies, and he misses the wave. And usually it's my middle son, Jude, who misses the wave. And he's a little guy. I can pick him up still. He kind of, we always think he kind of contorts to our body. He like, he's really good to kind of hug. And I'll pick him up and I'll hug him. And I'll say, buddy, for you to catch the wave, you have to keep your eyes on the horizon. 12 Stone, in a lot of ways, it's our hope that this series is our arm around you saying, hey, church, are you watching the horizon? Because if a wave of Jesus were to come, we want to be ready and prepared to do it, to ride it, to be a part of what God would do next. And so with this question, is Christianity outdated? We're going to be learning from the New Testament book of Colossians for the next three weeks. Colossians 1 is a great place for us to start to learn about our faith because the Apostle Paul wrote the New Testament book of Colossians to a church that was doing well but needed to be reminded of the core claims of our faith, even specifically who Jesus is. And as we learn from Colossians, we're going to see that the key claims of Christianity are timeless, relevant, impactful, no matter the date. You see, it's been said that there are four core questions that every single person needs answered for a full life. That every worldview, every person, whether they use these words or not, they're searching for the answers to these questions in order to live a full life. And I believe these four questions are these. Origin, where do I come from? Morality, how should I live? Destiny, where am I going? And meaning, does any of this matter? And here's our claim. Christianity is not outdated because the truths and teachings of Jesus alone answer all four of these questions. Our questions and the answers that Christianity provides to these questions are comprehensive, reliable, and hopeful. And we're going to see that in Colossians chapter 1 today. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's my hope, that you would absorb this as opportunity to get more prepared to share your faith with other people. So learn and, and soak in this so that you can be more equipped and prepared to share your faith. But if you're a seeker or maybe even a skeptic, 
I pray that God would use these to do something in you, to open your eyes, to soften your heart to the truths of Christianity. So let's jump in. Origin. What or where do we come from? Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Pause. I I love that. It's saying everything was created by Jesus, for Jesus, from Jesus, even authorities. He's the authority over the authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. There is no wondering. There's no guessing needed. You are no accident. You are no random collision of mysteriously existing molecules. Every person across all of time finds our origin in Jesus. He was before us. We were created in him and through him, and we are made to go back to him. And when we see this hunger inside of culture where people are longing to know where they come from. Have any of you ever done Ancestry.com or 23andMe? You've spit in the cup and mailed it back in, and they give you all the, the roots of where you're from. It's a thing. It's popular. A couple of years ago, my dad did the, the Hildebrandt family, and we found out that a lot of our American roots are in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And one of the main reasons I tell you that is because I think it's fun to say Kalamazoo. Um, Kalamazoo, Michigan. But Hildebrandt we are from Holland. We have Dutch background. It's really interesting to find that out about your, your family, kind of your, your physical roots. But what's interesting to me is we're always longing for something a little bit deeper than that because we want to know more than just our physical family roots. We have a longing in us for a history at a soul level. We have these deep existential questions around why am I here? The Bible even says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has put eternity into the hearts of man. Or we long for answers to this eternal pull that is inside of us to see and to be a part of something bigger than what we can touch and feel. And it seems that Christianity does the very best job of giving us answers to these questions of where am I from and what are my origins? Here's how I'd answer it. You were made to flourish and thrive in the glory and goodness of God. You are from him, for him, and give back to him. He is our creator. He's our author. He's our designer. He's our originator. He thought you up, and he brought you into existence. Your value and your purpose rest in the creative mind of the God of the universe, which is why when people drift from recognizing that our source is in God, The eventual landing place is dissatisfaction, brokenness, and sadness. An early church father, pillar of our faith, is an African monk named St. Augustine of Hippo. He wrote this in his work, Confessions. He said, you, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The case for Christianity continues to build morality. How then should we live? How should I live? Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, the knowledge of his will, that we would know what God wants for our lives through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life. God wants to guide us with how we live worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. 
bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, we need this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience. All right, track, track with me. If the first point is true, that we find our origin in God, then how we live comes from God too. It'd be like not following the proper instructions based on what the designer has set in place for a particular product. Like any of you ever struggle with following instructions? Like I, I struggle with instructions and I... <laughs> For some reason, I've always struggled with washing clothes. I don't know if it's a mixture of ignorance and stubbornness, but early in adulthood, when it became my responsibility to wash my own clothes, like my number one value for washing clothes was as many clothes in one load as possible so I can get in and out. A couple of you are like, amen. You've been there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So no matter what the, the tag said of how to wash it, no matter the fabric, no matter the color, if I can fit it, it gets washed. So here's what would happen, and I didn't know why it was happening until I met my, my lovely wife, is I'd go to somewhere really fancy like Target, and I'd buy a shirt. And I'd buy the shirt, man, and, I'd, I, and I'm one of those guys that will put the shirt on uh, before I wash it. Like, I'll wear it right out of the store, and it'll fit real good one time. And I'm walking around like, I just bought a really good shirt. Like, this fits really good. And then I would go wash my clothes, and I'd turn my really good fitting shirt into like a crop top because... I didn't know what I was doing and how to wash my clothes properly. Then I marry my wife, and she teaches me things like, hey, there's some clothes that you shouldn't just throw into the dryer. And I'm like, I had no idea. I thought that was something the pilgrims did, but that you can hang dry something. And then she teaches me that there's all sorts of other settings on the washing machine. Here's what's true when it comes to washing clothes. My wife uses the instructions and the directions of the designer, and I'm better for it. Guys, if we are from God, if our origin is in him, if it's his mind that thought you and me up, he gets to say as to what is right and wrong, moral and ethical, and what a lovely good life looks like. He is the measure of me, not me. He is our source, he is our direction, and he is our guidance in order to know how life is meant to be lived. Jesus gives us clear direction on what is sin and what is good, what is healthy, how to love people, how to raise a family. He gives us guidance for marriage and sexuality. He gives us practical guidance on things like money and leadership and emotions and so much more. And when you say yes to his way, don't miss what it said in the scripture. The fruit of this, the fruit of living a life pleasing to God is his strength. It's his might. It's his power in our lives. It's not only that living for Jesus aligns us with truth. It's that I believe living for Jesus actually works. And there's fullness and there's joy and there's excitement and there's love in a life that has placed itself underneath the ways and the direction of Jesus. I mean, I find this to be so true in my life personally. I can just be really honest for a second about kind of where I tend to ignore God's way and do it myself. And for me, God has been teaching me something around the words of trust and rest. I'm wired as a doer. I'm wired to have control. I'm wired to make sure I perform a certain way. And what happens in high stress seasons is I will ignore true intimacy with God and even intimacy with my family in order to get things done. And 
I feel like God has been trying to speak this to me for years. He's like, Trey, there's a way. There's a way to trust me for control. And I've given you instructions on how to rest. And I've also given you instruction that you don't have to perform for anybody because I love you that much. And when I, I leave those ways of God behind, the result is this frantic, hurried, short-tempered, frustrating man. But over the past couple of years, really, and, and specifically, I'd say even over the past three or four months, choosing to say yes to God's way has demonstrated again and again to me that his way is better. Church, it's not just that he is a dictator in the sky saying, do this my way because I'm right. It's that he wired you, he designed you, he made you, his way is better. And the tested proof over time will always lead us to believe that Jesus leads to life. And we trust his ways and his instruction from scripture. But then people have this big destiny question. There's origin, there's morality, but destiny, where am I going? Colossians chapter one, starting in verse five, then we'll jump to verse 12. The faith and love that spring from the hope, there it is, we have hope. That spring up, this hope in us, stored up for you in heaven. This literal reality that is in front of anybody who has a relationship with Jesus. That is stored up for you in heaven. And about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. And giving joyful thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you. He's done the work. He's made a way. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. See, if you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, the final chapter of your life, and it's beautifully endless, has already been written. Your final home is secured, and it is set confidently into the future because heaven is for real. And we believe this reality that one day, those of us in Christ, we will be whole and happy and healthy and literally in the presence of God for all eternity. Like an inheritance, as if we are the king's children, we get the kingdom. And guys, this is going to be awesome. Like, we should be giddy about this. I don't know what makes you giddy in this life. Maybe it's vacation. Maybe it's a good meal, your favorite meal. Maybe it's, it's uh, the weekend. Maybe it's a nap. Like, if I'm honest with you, if I know there's going to be a nap in the future, I can circle that and I'll, I'll think about it for five or six days. Like I'm going to get to nap eventually and I get giddy about it. See, and we should be so excited and we should enjoy the gifts that God has given us on earth. But if we are giddier, I don't know if that's a word. If we're giddier and more excited about what we get to experience here on earth, Versus what the inheritance in the kingdom of light is going to be like. It's like having a picture of the beach and thinking that it is the same quality as actually going to the beach. Nobody sits at home with a picture on their phone of a beach and says, yeah, man, this is as good as the real thing. <laughs> no, because we long for the real thing. And heaven is our real inheritance for all those who are in Christ. What a promise. Hey, don't miss the weight of this promise, though. Because the offer of this promise, an eternity with God in heaven, is extended to anyone and everyone. But it will only be fulfilled in those who have actually placed their faith in Jesus. Talk about destiny. 
talk about where we're going to spend eternity, the Bible is clear that the issue of sin is significant. Sin breaks our relationship with God and our destiny, the destiny for anybody apart from Jesus is in a place far from God called hell. And this is real and this is terrible. But in Jesus, in his life, his death, on the cross as payment for our sin, and in his resurrection, we get the promise of heaven, which is why we call the gospel good news. It's not good news if there's not a negative alternative. And there is, apart from Christ, there is a negative place. There's this reality of a place called hell. But in Christ, we have good news, and there is a better way which informs how we live because of this. We share the gospel of Jesus because people spend eternity in only one of two places, which builds to this thought of meaning. Does any of this matter? Colossians chapter one, verse 28. He, he is the one we proclaim. It's Jesus with our lives. The people would look at us and they would see and understand a little bit more of Jesus. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ to this end. Don't miss this in the scripture. He says, hey, we're going to tell everyone about the good news of Jesus. We're going to tell everyone about the potential destiny of heaven. We're going to tell everyone about how to live in Christ and how fulfilling and better that is. We're going to tell everyone about where their origins are to this end. I strenuously contend. I give my energy. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ has so powerfully works in me. Meaning? What's the opposite of meaning? It's apathy. It's indifference. And many people are living life with apathy. But if heaven is real, and hell is real, and if Jesus is real and his teachings are real, then every single second of our lives is packed with eternal significance. The truths of Christianity stack unimaginable meaning into every moment of your life. If life really is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, then of course the natural conclusion is apathy. Meaning? What meaning? If life is simply rearranging the chairs on the Titanic and I'm just waiting for this little life to be over, then apathy is where most people will find themselves. C.S. Lewis speaks to this just a little bit with a quote. He said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If this is true, and we believe all of this is real, there is infinite importance in every single one of your lives and in my life. In some ways, this answers all of the questions of origin and morality and destiny and meaning. If this is real, because we exist to proclaim him. We proclaim him in every conversation, in every career, in every visit to the grocery store or the ball field. If we're hanging out with friends or with family, every moment is chock full of potential impact. And as the scripture said, we're going to give our energy. We're going to strenuously contend in this life to give glory, for God, give glory to God. And there is great meaning and significance for you. 
You see, people are asking these questions. Again, they may not be using these specific words, but in some way, every person longs to know the answers to these questions. We have to be listening and then ready to lean in. Origin questions may come out like this. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Or I've heard this one a million times. I feel lost. Morality comes out like, what's right or wrong? Or how should I parent? What is, what, how should I help my marriage? Or I keep making these bad decisions and I can't get stuck out of this cycle. Destiny. Death becomes real for everyone at some point. No one escapes the question of what happens after I die. And then meaning. I feel stuck in my job, in my life. Someone may say, I want to make a difference. I just don't know how. Or maybe you've actually heard the deeper question of, I don't think my life matters. Let me give us two encouragements, and then we'll pray. The first encouragement is this. (laughs) Your life will live the answers to these questions better than any list that I could give you. You should, we should learn thoughtful, Jesus-centered answers to the questions that people have, but our lives will be the greatest testimony to the question, is Christianity outdated? When people see that you've had an undeniable experience with God and that there is a light inside of you that is so lovely that people are drawn into the beauty of Christ, when you live that way, it will help answer the questions of the wandering lost people around you. That we would live in a way that our testimony answers these questions for people. But then there's also another encouragement. I was listening to a podcast recently with a pastor who was interviewing a man named David Brooks. David Brooks is a New York Times columnist. He's a sociologist. He's a philosopher of sorts. And he had come to faith later in life. And it's a whole other conversation. But he essentially came to faith because he was around a Christian whose life was lovely and it drew him in. But he's in a podcast with a pastor, and they were talking about the state of society. They're talking about how Christians can make an impact on people. They're talking about how it felt like the waters of Christianity had receded out. And they were saying, what can we do about this? And the pastor asked David Brooks the question, what advice would you give to Christians today of how to make an impact on the people around them? David Brooks sat back in his seat, and he just kind of took a breath. And he said, very simply, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid to share the gospel. Be not afraid to live for Jesus. Be not afraid to love unlovable. Be not afraid to speak the name of Jesus into regular everyday conversations. Be not afraid. See, I have a hope, first and foremost, because of Jesus and who Jesus is. I have hope because if Jesus said his church, if he said the gospel will not fail, then I believe him. But I also have hope because I know you, 12 Stone. I have hope because I've heard so many stories. And there are so many stories recently in the life of our church of you guys caring about your neighbor. And you're not afraid. There are so many stories of you guys finding needs in your community and going after them in the name of Jesus and not being afraid. 
My hope is this, that we would not be caught looking down as the waters recede and wonder, where is the tide of Christianity going? I pray that we would not be caught looking down, being distracted by busyness, that we wouldn't be caught looking down, trying to defend Jesus against the pressures of the day. That's not what he's asked. We don't want to be caught looking down. We want to be caught looking at the horizon with hopeful expectation that another wave is about to crash onto our shores. And there's going to be endless amounts of people who are going to say yes to the offer of Jesus. But we have a part to play. And as pastors are getting ready to step up across the campuses and at home, maybe you need to seal something in your heart. And it may start with a yes. God, I give you my yes. Is Christianity outdated? Absolutely not. Because in Jesus are the answers of life. What's your role to play? Be not afraid. Pastors, would you lead us in prayer? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.